Uh, no, you can do the intro. All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg, and I'm joined tonight by my co-editor, Chris Schutte. The time of this recording, it is Wednesday night. We are here to catch you up on what's happened in, oh, I'd say the last week or so of mid-major college basketball. Um, I think the first topic of discussion should be what happened this week at the top of the other top 25 because we had some disagreement um, in terms of who should be ranked number one. We had, uh, I believe it was three teams receiving number one votes. Ultimately, we settled on San Diego State, which is a perfect eight and O. Um, They won their MTE during feast week. Gonzaga is number three, Dayton is number two. All three of those teams have a pretty good case for the top spot. Uh, Chris, if you could refresh my memory, tell me who you voted for number one and why. Um, I put Dayton number one, um, giving them a little bit of the Maui bump. But I, I think when you look at um, just how well they performed in Maui, they, they passed the eye test. Um, obviously, Obi Toppin was kind of the breakout star from from – those three games, but watching them, I, I just realized like how deep their roster is and how many different guys on their team can hurt you. I think Anthony Grant has done a really nice job, you know, kind of putting this roster together that has guards that can drive, guards that can shoot. Um, they've got a couple really good uh, other forwards and Ryan Mike's own Chase Johnson off the bench. Um, couple glue guys like Trey Landers and Jerry Matos. I, I just I just think top to bottom they're probably the deepest team that we cover outside of maybe a VCU but uh, in terms of um, the combination of, of eye test metrics and um, just pure results I, I that's kind of where I ended up with Dayton as my top team. I, th- I think if you watched the Maui Invitational even if you don't vote for Dayton as the top team I, I don't think you could reasonably have a problem with somebody voting them there. I mean, <clears throat> pardon me. They, as you said, certainly looked the part, and they played Kansas down to the wire uh, in that championship game. And, and had they won, they probably would have been unanimous in, in our poll. Um, so certainly I, I don't fault you for that. I did vote for San Diego State as mm-hmm. number one. Um, I think, well, first of all, and I mentioned this on, on the last podcast, I'm glad they're doing well because I think they justify um, the preseason ranking we gave them, which I think was a little higher than most places. Uh, But looking at what they've done from a body of work standpoint, wins over BYU and now Creighton and Iowa, um, certainly solid. And then they just look like a really complete team on both ends. I think Malachi Flynn has been one of the best guards in the country maybe that you know people aren't really talking about quite as much he had just a phenomenal tournament pardon me I can't remember which one they were in but it was with those wins against Creighton and Iowa played 29 minutes in each game scored 21 against Creighton 28 against Iowa has a couple of games of nine plus assists this year Uh, he pretty much fills every category he could shoot he could distribute he looks like a great addition to this team, the transfer from Washington State. Um, And just 
you know, as a team, they defended really well. They shot the ball really well um, in Vegas where they were playing uh, 1.2 points per possession in that championship game. And, and just simply the fact that they haven't lost yet. I think maybe I over overvalue that, but when in doubt, I tend to give the nod to the undefeated team. No, I, I completely agree. And that, that's kind of been the, the big thing that um, San Diego State has struggled with the last couple of years is coming in with preseason expectations and then faltering out of the gate and not being able to live up to it. And like you said, they've got those three wins over BYU, Creighton, and Iowa. Those are all top 60 teams on Kempom. And I think um, I, you're spot on about uh, Flynn. I think he gives them a guard that they really haven't had you know, the last couple of years, he's, he's a guy that can get his own shot at anywhere on the floor. Um, you know, you said he can shoot it. He's shooting above um, 40% from three. He can get to the hoop and he's really good creator. And I think that's something that the Aztecs have really kind of lacked the last couple of years. And I, I think you, you brought up a good point in that San Diego state hasn't maybe fallen into the trap that it has in years past or that other teams this year have in, in that it's won the games it's supposed to win. And there is something to be said for that, especially, you know, in a, a site like ours where we cover teams that are consistently being put in difficult situations early in the year, being able to take care of business against teams you're supposed to be is no small task. And mm-hmm. the fact that they've done it, as have the other teams at the top of our poll, um, I, I think says a lot. The the other team that I think you could have made a, a credible argument for as number one, and I had them on my ballot as number one until I, it changed my mind at the last minute, is Gonzaga. They went to the battle for Atlantis. They beat Southern Miss, beat Oregon in overtime, and then got blown out by Michigan in the championship game. But my opinion, that game said more about Michigan than it did about Gonzaga, I think, and I talked about this on the last podcast as well, the Bulldogs answered a lot of questions that I had about them early in the year. Even with that loss to Michigan, I still think overall they had a pretty good uh, weekend. Philip Petrushev has really emerged as a guy who has taken that next step uh, from a serviceable role player last year to now somebody who can take charge if needed on this team. Yeah, I had them uh, number two in my in my ballot. Uh, I, I think my biggest concern for uh, Gonzaga at this point in the season is they're not terribly deep, and they're also playing a lot of guys that just haven't played together, which isn't usually something we say about Gonzaga teams. It's, they're usually constructed of guys that have been in the program, you know, for two, three years. Maybe they've been a transfer, sat out, and now they're starting to get some experience. Um, Killian Tilly is obviously a huge piece. And now that he's back and appears to be healthy, he played pretty well in that Michigan game. I believe he was their only guy in double figures, right? Something that close to that. sounds right. If I could pull up the box score really quickly. I mean, offensively, it was a struggle for them. Yeah, Tilly had 20. Nobody else was in double figures. Yeah, so I, I think that's probably my one huge concern for them right now and granted I think Gonzaga is going to be perfectly fine and I think one of the things that we ran into is just probably Gonzaga fatigue and we just kind of thought it would be 
nice to have somebody else take the top stop. And, and I think we have, you know, a couple teams that could very easily make the case, which is why it's been, you know, kind of fun, fun to do these ballots. Every week we talk about how much kind of trouble we have with the top just because we've got, you know, five or six teams that are not just on like really good for teams that we cover, like on a national scale, they're kind of nationally recognized as being, you know, pretty legit. Yeah. And I don't want to speak for you and, uh, and Dayton, but at least with me and San Diego state, um, I'm not married to keeping them at number one, even if they don't lose looking at what Gonzaga has upcoming. Um, they play Washington on Sunday. They play Arizona the following Saturday and then North Carolina. I mean, if they reel off some wins here, I will probably move them back up to number one, regardless of what San Diego state does. No, absolutely. I mean, I considered putting St. Mary's up there after they beat a really good uh, Utah state team. Yeah. That's, we can... that's another team that I wanted to talk about. And, um, and they play Dayton this weekend. So that'll be that'll be a great game. It'll be a good barometer for both teams. I I don't know about you, but when I go home for Thanksgiving, I tend to fall into the fall back into the mode of being like a ten year old and going to bed at nine o'clock or nine thirty. So I did not see the St. Mary's Utah State game. I was probably long asleep by the time that game started. Uh, did you see any of that? And if not, you know we could least maybe talk a little bit about what the result means for both teams yeah I actually saw probably I want to say almost all the second half I, I, okay. I flipped over it to it after the end of uh, VCU Purdue which I would prefer not oh to talk about on this podcast that, that game I did watch most of and I would like to forget about it as soon as possible absolutely just atrocious basketball on both ends um no, but it was a it was a really really good game. Um, probably one of the best I've I've watched this year. I've I've got the box score open, and I always like looking at the the Ken Palm uh, win probability graph just because I think it's interesting to see kind of the flow of the game. And it's it's pretty much hovering right in the middle, kind of going back and forth. Um, but but the game was really all in my opinion. It was about Jordan Ford in the second half. He finished with 27 in the game. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many were in the second half. It was, it was at least 20. I mean, he, just, he really just kind of took over, played all 40 minutes, and really he was making a bunch of shots and creating for his teammates down the stretch. Um, as far as what it means for both teams, I, it's, not a, it's not a bad loss for Utah State. I mean, they're still playing yeah. without Nemius uh, Keda, who's still out with his knee injury. There's no real timetable for that. But for St. Mary's, it gives them another nice win to add to that uh, neutral court win that they had against Wisconsin to open the season. And I, I think it's really kind of bolstering the case for the West Coast Conference as being a potential multi-bid league like we thought it was going to be going into the season. Yeah, and I, I think at minimum that conference gets two bids, probably three. I'm pretty high on BYU. I think we've gone over that. Um, I agree with you that it's not terribly concerning for Utah State, mainly because they are still missing Nemeas Krita. Um, they also have that win against LSU to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll wait and see how good a, you know those wins over North Texas and UTSA look. I guess UTSA, that's out the window already. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> Doesn't um, count anymore. 
But yeah, no, that doesn't count anymore. But you know, maybe, maybe North North Texas could hold its own in Conference USA. But anyway, it, it was a a good look for St. Mary's, a, a team that needed a really good win, not only after losing to Winthrop um, way back in early November, but that overtime win over Wisconsin suddenly isn't looking all that great now that Wisconsin has turned out to just be pure garbage. I saw them at Barclays Center against Richmond in New Mexico, and they they look bad. That's not a good team. Um, yeah, Indiana plays them this week, and I can't wait to score 47 points in the Cole Center. Score 47 points in the Cole Center and win by double digits. So. Hey, whatever you got to do. <laughs> Indiana will be undefeated going into their game against UConn at MSG, and that will be the day that our slack eats each other. I think we should do like a live podcast or something, just like, watching the game, just like talking mad shit to each other the entire time, which <laughs> would actually, ultimately probably turn into us just like yelling at our own players. Yeah. I, I'm going to be there. Otherwise I'd be all for it. Right. But like, I can't just not go when UConn is playing at MSG. No, I, I would be concerned if you weren't going. Yeah. Um, so that's, let's see, that's Utah state St. Mary's. Anybody else we wanted to touch on like in the top half of that rankings are you worried about vermont by the way not i mean for in in terms of what in terms of like long-term projection i still think they're gonna roll through the america east with ease yeah that, that's the thing like even if they're not as good as we thought they were they're in a conference where they don't have any serious competition i don't, I don't think yeah um, i mean i would expect them to have beaten Ryder and yeah. probably Yale. Although Yale's Yale's been pretty good so far this year. They've they cracked the top one hundred and Canton, but long term, no, I'm not concerned with Vermont. And I think they've have they been battling some injuries lately? I know they had yeah. a couple guys out last night against uh Cincinnati. Yeah, I I thought it was um I thought it was Steph Smith, but now I'm looking and he played Might have been Giddens the uh, Giddens. Giddens did not play. Okay. Um, so that's one. I thought they had one more injury as well. But regardless, it, oh, Robin Duncan. Uh, mm. Robin Duncan played five minutes in that loss to Yale, got hurt, and did not play against Cincinnati. So, you know, so that's something to keep in mind, too. I'm not terribly concerned either. I think it's something we've seen in our time covering this site where you have teams that are head and shoulders better than everybody else in their conference. I guess Gonzaga being the exception to this, where they can lose focus a little bit in these December games, knowing that what really matters is conference play and winning your conference tournament. Um, Not saying that's necessarily what happened with Vermont here, but I saw them play against St. John's. They are a legit team, even if they haven't played like it uh, in the last couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, we watched them, like their kind of big moment so far other than the St. John's game was Anthony Lamb almost single-handedly willing them past uh, Virginia a couple weeks back. Yeah, and, and they came really close to doing that. Now, Virginia just lost by 30 to Purdue. Um, that, that offense. Oof. I, oof, that's bad. It's bad. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know where you stand on this because you're an Indiana fan. Um, but I love to see Purdue win that game by 29 points. No, I mean I, I think it looks good for, for the Big Ten. I'm not gonna, not gonna scoff at it. I mean, 
I, I've watched a decent amount of Purdue. I think they're they're kind of hit and miss. That's the type of game they they usually perform pretty well, and you, they get you get up for a real big opponent. And Mackey's one of the the toughest places to play in the country, um, and they they kind of play a similar style as Virginia. They're it's, they're just going to grind you down. They're going to play really really tough defense. Um, they shot the ball really well uh, today against. Uh, Virginia, which is, you know, something that Virginia hasn't had happened to them yet this year. So I, I, I wasn't terribly surprised that Purdue won. I was a little surprised by how much, but I guess that's it kind of goes to show you how just how much Virginia struggles on offense so far this year. It's been bad. Yeah, and and before anyone complains to us, uh, Virginia has a mid-major offense, so they fit the subject matter of this program. Yeah, historically good defense and completely mediocre offense. <laughs> mediocre is putting it nicely. Yeah. Um, we also had a few teams breaking in to the other top 25 this week. Uh, one of them is a, a Greensboro team that I think we could all admit we probably overlooked to start the season or at least underrated a little bit. They have performed very well so far this year. We have Yale entering off of that win over Vermont. Um, St. Louis has looked good. And by the way, I'm happy that St. Louis is here because they're one of those teams that we've had high hopes for the last couple of years and have disappointed us. And now in a year where we didn't think they'd be all that good, um, they're off to a 7-1 and one start. Wins over Belmont, uh, Boston College, Valpo, some you know, okay wins, nothing great so far. Uh, they get Tulane and Auburn up next, so I guess we'll learn a little bit more about them. Um, but looking at our rankings now, what is it, seven teams from the Atlantic 10? I mean, holy shit, this, is, this conference is looking really, really good. Yeah, not just at the top. Like just like you said, the middle of the, the conference is looking solid. Well, they've got six teams in the top 100 of Ken Palm. Uh, St. Louis and George Mason, who uh, George Mason made our, our rankings too, didn't they? Yeah, they came in at number twenty-four. Yeah, and they they just beat uh, New Mexico State last week, who's who's back off the schneid after beating Utah uh, Utah last night. Yeah, and that's good because New Mexico State had fallen out of the rankings entirely. Yeah, I think that that. I don't think it's necessarily an overreaction for us, but that's, you know, we had them very high up um, yeah. to start the year and they've just been kind of banged up and, and they have played it. I mean, they played a pretty tough schedule, so. They have, and, and it, this just serves as a reminder. I think that our rankings are kind of, are really just a kind of a snapshot as to what yeah. it looks like right now. Like New Mexico state by the end of the year could very well be in the top 15, even top 10 of these rankings, but, to this point, I mean, losses, none of their losses are bad, by the way. UTEP, Arizona, no. New Mexico, George Mason. Uh, it's just been the volume of them. I mean, they're five and four. You can't keep a five and four team in your top ten. And, you know, just by virtue of other teams passing them, they've kind of fallen out. But that win over UTEP was certainly a good one. Uh, UTEP, a team from uh, Conference USA that, you know, I, I don't know. Conference USA is a, a conference where I think the last few years we've been hoping that they could kind of take that next step and be uh, maybe a multi-bid league. But 
it hasn't really come to fruition. It doesn't look like it will this year either, but they have a bunch of teams that are like better than okay, but not really great. Like Louisiana Tech, Western Kentucky, UTEP, um, UAB, the computers like them apparently. Uh, FIU's well, off just, to a nice start. Like UAB just kicked off their best player a couple weeks ago, didn't they? Zach Bryant? Uh, I think you're right. You know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They they did. Um, so so that's an issue. They they've lost to Kentucky and and Texas since then. Uh, but you know, I mean, that's fine. It's, those are excusable losses. They don't have a win better, at least according to Ken Palm, than Mount St. Mary's. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. But they are a Ken Palm top one fifty team. It's it, Conference USA. It, it, if nothing else, it looks like it's going to be competitive if not great and i think that's they're definitely one of those conferences that doesn't have that clear cut you know team that's above everybody else like a vermont or like a new mexico state has been in the past so yeah it'll be fun to watch i it is kind of disappointing that we we kind of look at how some teams schedule and kind of the makeup of their teams, like, you kind of see, like, if, you know, if they win a couple games and things break right, they can maybe, like, get in the conversation for, like, an at-large, and then, like, somebody just trips over their own feet. It's yeah. all done by the second week of the season. <laughs> that's that's how it's been, yeah. Um, thinking about Conference USA, like, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, this um, the flex play type schedule that they have now. Because when you have a bunch of teams that are bunched close together in terms of quality, like maybe the top half of this conference is, it becomes really intriguing because you're going to have a bunch of high-stakes games once flex play begins and you have the top, what are the top four teams playing each other. Like yeah, that, that's going to rule. But then they're just going to eat each other. They're going to eat each other for sure. So like that's going to maybe ultimately hurt either seeding from the conference champion or NIT bids or whatever. And then you have to feel bad for whoever, say, the the fifth place team is because they might get demoted to that lower tier by virtue of a tiebreaker, can't get better than a five seed in their conference tournament, and they have to play a bunch of games where if they lose, it really hurts them. And if they win, well, they're expected to, so who cares? Yeah, and that's why it's, um, you know, it's more – more and more conferences are trying to figure out, you know, how are we, how can we best set ourselves up for success? You know, there is always going to be that danger of, you know, if we, if we go to the the flex scheduling at the end of the season, is there the possibility that we, you know, we have a good team that maybe, maybe they like, maybe their best player gets injured right before flex play and they lose like three or four and it completely tanks their, their chances. That's, I think there's always going to be that, possibility in the back of like in the back of your mind that you know this doesn't quite have the effect that it's intended to yeah and you know I know we didn't plan on discussing this but to that point we've talked about what it would look like if other conferences have had adopted a schedule like this and I'm thinking about the west coast conference in particular because that's absolutely that that's a league that has had to make changes to their conference schedule to accommodate Gonzaga to keep mm-hmm. them from leaving the conference. 
you know, they went down to 16 games. They set non-conference scheduling requirements to try to boost the numbers of the lower tier teams. If they had adopted something like that, you know, you could get three regular season meetings between Gonzaga and St. Mary's, St. Mary's BYU, Gonzaga BYU. And, you know, let's say we throw Pepperdine in there as the fourth team that would rule. And that just would, from an uh, aesthetically pleasing basketball to watch, I wouldn't mind watching those teams play each other I, like four times. I absolutely. Um, and, and Matt would do wonders to help the resumes of all of those teams. So, you know, on one hand, it might hurt conference USA this year, but it feel, I feel like it would help the West coast conference. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Yeah. And even like, even the A10 would be interesting to see. Like, say if imagine if like Dayton and VCU get another crack at each other. If if say yeah. Richmond or Rhode Island gets an additional crack at at those top two, because and as for some of these teams, they only get you know one shot at the just depending on how the schedule falls each year, they only get one shot at you know some of the better teams, which hurts their chances. Yeah, the, the A-10 is, is a good example of this because there are conferences that's usually good enough that you could expect multiple bids, mm-hmm. uh, but not good enough that, say, four or five is a given. So you have a bunch of teams like a Rhode Island or Richmond or like last year, St. Bonaventure, maybe St. Louis this year, who in reality might be good enough to be in the NCAA tournament but just won't have the resume. Mm-hmm. And giving them cracks against the top half of the conference or the top quarter of the conference uh, would help them immensely. And I, I think right now those teams just have to hope that things fall right in the A-10 tournament, that they get a chance to win those games. Yeah. Is that in Barclays this year? Yes, it is. Or is it in DC? Oh, I'm jealous. I, that's the one I really want to go to, especially this year. It's just, just cause how I think loaded the A-10 is. I I love the A10 tournament. I mean, I've I've been to it every year that it's been at Barclays Center, which I think the first year it was there was 2013. Um it's just such a fun event because the it's good basketball obviously for the most part. A lot of these fan bases travel well, you know, the VCU in particular. Uh the pep bands are great, VCU and George Mason leading there. Um it's a setting where, you know, they don't sell out that arena by any stretch, but when the games get good, like quarterfinal day, semifinal day, championship day, they fill up that lower bowl pretty well, and it gets pretty mm-hmm. intense. Uh, you know, you got Uncle Vern on the call. Maybe not anymore, but you got Jim Spinarkel. Uh, You know, it just it feels important, and it's, it's so exciting to see in a, a more intimate setting, you know, keeping that top half of the arena closed off. It's such a fun event. It's I'm so glad that it is at Barclays Center so I could spoil myself and go every year. Yeah, you're very spoiled when it comes to postseason tournaments. Oh, I know. And I know. just college basketball in general. I'm, I mean, it's one of the – honestly, one of the reasons why I still live in New York City is because it's such a great city for college basketball. You get Only in Beantown, baby. Only, only in the Windy City. <laughs> Like no, nobody's gonna get that. We're gonna get angry tweets about it. <laughs> who, are now. These, who are these dumbasses talking about geography on the podcast? No, I mean New York City, the city by the bay. We love it. Um, but like we, we get Big East tournament. I've been to twenty Big East tournaments in a row. Just saying, 
the A-10 tournament, all of these early season events at um, MSG and Barclays. You get a bunch of like random one-offs every year. It's, it's so good. Um, and then you have a, a bunch of good local teams and St. John's. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> I, have, I have no plans to St. John's. Hey, I went to Carnesecca Arena for the first time ever. I've lived here 11 years. My first time going there was a couple weeks ago for that Vermont game. Does that gym hold like 500 people? No, it's actually a pretty good size. It's, well, it? it's like maybe 6,000, 7,000. Um, so, you know, you could see why they play a lot of games at Madison Square Garden, especially the higher profile ones. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not like McDonough Arena for Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm, I'm looking at the, the capacity right now. It's 5602, so a little smaller than I thought, but it, it's fine. You can play games there. Basketball can occur there. Something yeah. resembling basketball if St. John's is yeah, involved. Depending, depending on how good they are that year. Do we need to take a break? I haven't even been paying attention to the time. Yeah, are you keeping track of the time? Because there's no like counter on my screen. Nope, have not. All right, well, let's, it, uh, let's put an ad break in here and see what happens. Do I say welcome back now? I guess welcome back to the mid-match. <laughs> this, this will be fun when it goes up. You know what? I'm not even going to edit it. I think I'll just uh, take the recording and post it. Um, anyway, what do we want to talk about now? Do, do we dare delve into the controversy? Uh, yeah, let's get to it. It says we have nine minutes left. So let, let's, do, let's do poll talk, and then we can, we can call it. All right. Uh, we got a bit of uh, quite a bit of heat this week, uh, partly because we decided to engage. Um, we logged on. We logged on, and you know that's what we do. We have no plans to log off whatsoever. But people were mad at us for not ranking Stephen F. Austin off of their win over Duke last week in overtime, eighty-five, eighty-three. Since then, the Lumberjacks have followed that up with. An admittedly nice 19-point win at Arkansas State and a blowout win over non-D1 Arlington Baptist. And I can't speak for everyone, but I'll speak for myself. I didn't really consider Stephen F. Austin despite the win. I said it was a fluke on Twitter, and I stand by that, um, simply because obviously Stephen F. Austin is not as good as Duke is, not even close. Um, I think you play that game a hundred more times Duke probably wins 98 or 99 of them and this just happened to be the one where SFA won now give them credit they're a really good team for for a Southland team Um, but facts are facts I mean they're number 202 in Ken Palm and this is eight games in so you know that by this point um, they do have a decent amount of data to be working off of Um, You know, if they go, if they beat Alabama in Alabama or even come close to it, I'm more than willing to reconsider because I do think they're, they're decent, but I I don't think one win over Duke admittingly an incredible win is enough to say that they belong in the same conversation as say George Mason, you know, one of the teams towards the bottom of our, of our rankings. I think George Mason is absolutely a better team right now and the numbers bear that out. Yeah, I, I think the whole thing 
my big thing with the polls is they don't matter. It's they're used as a tool to drive narratives. Um, I, I think we saw, at least I personally viewed the, the thing with Michigan this week. Um, I saw a lot of people talking about how they were going to rank them number one in their polls um, for the AP poll. And granted, they, they've built a great resume. Do you actually think they're the number one team in the country? Um, mm. You know, Not after wise, last I, night. <laughs> it, exactly. I think if you asked a lot of you know, voters that had them won if they actually, if they truly believe that they were the best team in the country, I, I would be surprised if a lot of them um, said yes. And this, this goes back to the Stephen F. Austin thing is I, when I sit down and do my ballot, I try to take a step back out of the moment and try to digest the entire body of work. Yes, it was absolutely an amazing moment. And I, I agree with you. Stephen F. Austin's not a better, better team than Duke. I even I would hope that Stephen F. Austin fans agree with that. Um, and like you said, if they continue it against Alabama and continue reeling off games, absolutely, I will definitely consider them. But at this just current juncture, I think there's a lot of teams that they would like in our top twenty-five that I think they would lose to more often than not, which is essentially my reasoning for keeping them out yeah and this is historically for us i think a really tough week to rank teams because you have the week after thanksgiving you have a bunch of teams who just played in mtes so you have most teams have taken a loss or two during the week so Mm -hmm. that makes things difficult you've hit the point in the season now where everyone's played like seven or eight games so you have a decent sample size to work off of but you're still at still early enough that I think your preseason evaluations are coming into play you can't go entirely off of body of work quite yet Um, so it's kind of a weird spot to be in and you know if that Duke win had happened maybe a few weeks later when we had a little bit more info on SFA I think this would be a different story. Uh, but for now, I I hold firm that they are a top-tier Southland team, a surefire threat to go to the NCAA tournament out of their league. Um, a tough game for Alabama to have scheduled for Friday, but maybe not one of the 25 best teams from a mid-major conference in the country. Yeah. And if they are, they'll go out and prove it. And yeah, that's it's another thing we say it time and time and time again. If you're mad at us for not including your team, that's totally fine. But go win, win your games, and you will eventually get the recognition you feel you deserve. Exactly. Stop wasting your time being mad at a bunch of dudes on the internet for their subjective polls. They don't matter. Yeah, we, we don't matter. <laughs> Mid-major madness. <laughs> Who cares? So it's our it's our new tagline. Yeah, that, that's all I have on SFA. The discourse has been exhausting. Yeah, uh, mostly because their fans just get incredibly mad on the internet. There's so many of them. There's, that's that's a rough fan base to deal with. Yeah. Sorry to Thomas Walkup, who now follows us on Twitter. Hope you're not. Oh, mad. I love Thomas Walkup. Shout out Thomas Walkup. 
Shout out Dartmouth. The yeah. Sh- shout yeah. out Dartmouth. How are, have they played since our last pod? Uh, By the way, lost in, lost in OT last night to Georgia State. Oof. By the way, Stephen F. Austin 202 in Ken Palm, Dartmouth 207. Should we rank <laughs> Dartmouth? <laughs> that'd, that'd be a great bit. You know what? If, if Dartmouth wins at South Florida, maybe I'll put them at 25 in my ballot just to rile people up. Much to consider. All right. Do we have any, anything else quick before we leave and this software kicks us off? Um, any games coming up this weekend that we want to touch on briefly? Just looking at the schedule. Uh, we already touched on uh, Dayton St. Mary's a little bit. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, Providence is at Rhode Island. That Providence is god-awful. That If Rhode Island doesn't win that game, I'll be concerned. Yeah, they stink. Um, uh, looking at the schedule, not a ton. Um, it's weird that Mountain West play has started tonight. That is I, weird. Not, I don't love that. Just Are they playing 20 weird. games? Is that why they're doing it? They might be. I'd have to check. They actually, actually, they might have moved their conference tournament schedule up. Uh, okay. Yep, I think that's what happened. They're only playing 18 this year, so that must be it. Gotcha. Uh, Davidson's at Northeastern. Northeastern. Davidson needs that game badly. Yeah, Davidson stinks. It's, they've been such a disappointment. It's, it's really too bad because they've got so much talent on that team, which does give me hope that they could look turn it around, but they're, they're facing an uphill climb if they want an at-large bid. Absolutely. All right. Want to get out of here? Yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. Just a reminder, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. You, we have some exciting things coming up, actually. Chris, this should be news to you because I've been talking to Jared about it privately on Slack. Um, he's going to take over a few episodes of The Coaches Show for us. He has a couple of interviews lined up. Oh, Don't nice. want to reveal who the coaches are yet because they haven't been recorded. And as I've learned the hard way, um, Sometimes technical difficulties happen. We had one lined up with Walter McCarty of Evansville that just didn't work out because, you know, technology stinks. Um, But look for a couple of episodes coming, I think maybe one early next week and the other the week after. Um, So that's why you should be subscribing to us wherever you find your podcasts. Also, if you are so inclined, make sure to rate and review us unless you have bad things to say. Uh, For Chris Schutte, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.